BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Welcome in to the Gin Jag podcast. I'm Jordan DeLugo. Joined by my man, Jeremy Markoski. It has been a long time since we've gotten together, my brother. But now that we're getting back into training camp, back into the season really getting underway, it's high time we start getting the podcast going again. And uh, for those of you that don't know, we kind of do this weekly show, the Gin Jack podcast together. Jeremy and I are going into our third season. Uh, Hopefully we can get some better results for you guys this year. Uh, as the Jaguars, I believe, have won four games during our time together, Jeremy. <laughs> but uh, how you doing, man? It's good to good to get back on here with you. Yeah, I'm doing good. It's been a while, obviously, um, with the, the, end of the end of the season. Whew, the end of that roller coaster season that we just experienced finally came and passed. And we're on the greener pastures, right? Hopefully, ready to get rolling for season three. Hopefully, it's going to be the best season the Jaguars have had to date with us on the beat, you know, with us doing this thing together. So, I'm excited, man. I'm excited. Season tickets, the whole nine yards this year. We're ready to go see him lock it down the bank. And uh, this season cannot get started fast enough. After what happened last oh, yeah. year, you want to wash that out of your mouth and get it over with. And I'm ready to roll. Yeah, and it is Tuesday, July 26th. So we have gotten two training camp practices underway. Nothing in pads, so you're still kind of waiting to see what that looks like. But uh, Trevor Lawrence had a nice day today and didn't didn't have a single incompletion in today's training camp practice in the team settings, you know, 11 on 11, seven on seven. So I guess this is as good as day as any to go ahead and do our deep dive into the Jaguars offense, what it will look like. Will Trevor make the year two jump? Are the other pieces around him set up for success? How's Doug Peterson going to run things here? We're going to dive into all that fun stuff. I'm really excited about it. Make sure to follow Jeremy on Twitter at Jeremy Markowski, myself at Jordan DeLugo, Generation Jaguar at Generation Jag. And of course, check out genjag.com for all the latest Jaguars news, analysis, and Duval gear. And make sure to like and subscribe on YouTube. This will be the first year where we have the Gen Jag podcast, not only on your podcast streams, but also available in video form on YouTube for y'all. So we're really excited about getting that going too. Jeremy's got his setup going, getting into the video streaming world here for the first time. Excited about it. Yeah, man, it's, it's new to me, but it's exciting. Especially when you bring in the Jaguars and, and, you know, being able to sit here every week and just talk about something that we love. It makes it easy, right? It's, yeah. it's not a chore. It's, it's, you know, it's not a job. It's, it's a hobby. and it, It's fantastic. And it's so funny that we're on YouTube now because, I had never, when I grew up, I mean, YouTube was a thing, don't get me wrong, but I, I did not use YouTube. I 
so not versed in YouTube in the ways that it works. But everyone's going to YouTube, man, these days. Everything's on YouTube. I'm excited to see what it holds. Yeah, and I... uh... I'll handle all the technical stuff early on and, and we'll get it going here. It's going to be a fun season. I think it's going to, you mentioned, uh, hopefully it's the best season we've had to date together. And if it's not, I think some heads are going to be rolling here at the end of the season. But a big part of that is going to be the Jaguars offense, obviously with Doug Peterson now as the head coach and also the play caller, as we've got Murray just sprinting around the house, having herself a ball here. Um, hopefully the noise isn't too distracting for anyone, but yeah, Doug Peterson takes over as the head coach and play caller. She doesn't know what she wants, if she wants to play or what, but it's she's going to have man, you got to get up. That's right. Um, so Doug Peterson, head coach and play caller. He does have press Taylor as his offensive coordinator. They spent several years together in Philly. Uh, Mike McCoy comes in as the quarterback coach. A lot of people know him, spent a lot of time, um, with the Chargers, with the Broncos, working with Peyton Manning, Phillip Rivers. Um, he's He's been around. He's a big name in the NFL. Had a couple years off, but he's back now with the Jaguars as the quarterback coach for Trevor Lawrence, for Doug Peterson. Jim Bob Cooter is the passing game coordinator, another very familiar name for those that have been following the NFL. And then uh, Phil Rauscher comes in as the offensive line coach. He comes over from Minnesota, was previously in Washington, um, and Bernie Parmalee stuck around as the RB coach, and Chris Jackson is the wide receivers coach. So that's kind of the core of the Jaguars' offensive coaching staff. Any of those uh, coaches that you're particularly excited about beyond Doug Peterson? Honestly, for me, I'm excited about everybody on the offensive side of the ball. And if I'm going to have to narrow it down to to a handful of guys, it's, it's that quarterback Right. And the biggest thing for me, the biggest two things are familiarity and history. Familiarity in the way that Doug Peterson played quarterback. Mike McCoy, I believe he played quarterback. You're going to have to, you know, factor mm-hmm. me on that. I think he did, right? You yeah. got guys that have played the position, have had success in the league, right? Doug Peterson's been to the top of the mountain. And you've got all these guys now centered around your franchise corner piece, which is your quarterback. The long awaited son of Jacksonville. We've never had a franchise quarterback in that regard. And we took the first year and we fumbled it. So you've got to come back. You've got to make amends for what you did last year for wasting Trevor's rookie year. And I think they hit the nail on the head with the staff. Doug put together a fantastic staff. So like I said, familiarity with the position, familiarity with the NFL and the history, what these guys have done in the league. That's what makes me so excited for what they can do to help Trevor pave his way in the NFL. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Bernie Parmalee. He's the only one on the offense that stuck around from the previous staff. So that says a lot about how Doug Peterson felt about him and uh, how the players felt about him as well. And then the one guy coming in um, that I'm really excited about is Phil Rauscher. Like I mentioned, he's from Minnesota the last couple years, but he also was the assistant offensive line coach for the Washington football team. Now the commanders, of course, Um, and he coached with Brandon Scherf there. He also coached with Wes Martin, one of the backup offensive linemen, who he'll be a fringe guy if he can make the roster or not. But there's familiarity within the ranks here between the offensive line coach and the some of the offensive linemen that are here, and I think he's going to bring in more of that wide zone rushing attack that you've seen from you know the Vikings, the Kubiak scheme, the Shanahan scheme, 
Uh, it's kind of sweeping the league right now, re-emerging as the meta for the for the rushing attack, at least. A lot of the best teams in the NFL uh, at running the ball have that wide zone rushing attack. And then he just brings a ton of energy. Uh, I didn't know him personally uh, prior to him getting to Jacksonville, obviously. But um, seeing him on the practice field, getting to meet with him, and then seeing him out there at training camp the last couple days, he has been kind of like that Joe DiCamillis, that really loud, uh, getting his point across, making sure he's teaching players up every single play, whether it's offensive linemen, whether it's the quarterback breaking the huddle, whether it's a tight end catching a pass out of the out of the backfield or what whatever it may be, you can hear Phil Rauscher pretty much after every play giving encouragement or, or teaching. Yeah, trust me, there's nothing more a football team loves than the offensive line coach yelling at everybody all day every day. <laughs> but yeah, man, I mean, you got to bring that energy. Right, and, and it's fantastic to, to, that you're able to see that. And I obviously haven't been out there, but just the videos and the way players have been talking and the atmosphere, everything just seems positive, good energy, vibrant energy, and it's refreshing. And I think for these guys, it's probably refreshing. Um, and, and kind of go back, you know, a few minutes ago, what you said, you said that word familiarity again. And with Phil Rauscher, his familiarity in that wide zone scheme, like you were talking about, is you know, going to help him be familiar with Doug Peterson's offense. So Doug Peterson loves to do. He's worked with a lot of wide zone uh, guys in his day. We've seen, you know, the agile offensive linemen thrive in Doug Peterson's system. And like you mentioned, that's where the NFL is shifting. So, you know, when you look at it and then when we talk about it, this staff, as it should be, is built for exactly what they want to do. Doug Peterson went out and looks like he got – his guys, you know, whether they were physically his guys already or not, he went out and put guys that are going here. He went out and put guys in his system that are going to uh, be able to, you know, translate that onto the field, to put that system on the field as best as they possibly could. Everything just seems like it's meshing really well together. Yeah. One thing you've heard, I mean, beyond coaches actually treating players like they're grown men, like Josh Allen talked about today, beyond that, because that shouldn't even be an issue. It really shouldn't, um, but you know we have to talk about it because of what happened last year. But beyond that, the the coaching style of it seems like the entire staff they teach the concepts that are happening or, or that they're trying to get players to run. Um, they teach the entire concept. It's not just like this is your job, you do this, don't worry about anything else. They're really trying to get the players to understand the entire scheme and. If that works out, that seems like you're going to have a team that's much more prepared mentally than what you've seen in the past in Jacksonville. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, listening to Trevor talk about this the other day, talk about how prepared they were before they got to camp, right? They're doing those installs in the meeting rooms, right, before we get to the practice field, stuff like that. And you would think that that is the – that's the norm, right? That's the status quo. You would think that's going on in the NFL, it obviously wasn't if they're coming out and explaining how that has helped them improve this season. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's more than just getting a position group on the same page. Like you said, it's more than just, you know, doing it outside of the classroom. You've got to have that time. You've got to have a full understanding of the playbook, the scheme and the team as a whole. And I think also that helps you buy in, right. You know, if, if it's kind of like that, that age old thing, you know, where the, the parents, you know, will just tell you, because I said so, right? And when you are kind of looking at things 
And, you know, as a grown man in the NFL, I'm sure, you know, there, I'm sure there were questions that came up, like, why are we doing this, this way and this and that. And when you have a whole team that understands the scheme, they understand the whys and the what's and everything puts you at ease. I think it just makes for a, a smoother transition and, and a much more, um, I can see it's a close unit, right? The offensive unit is going to be very close. They all know what they're doing on every play, what their other guys are doing. They know they can, you know, hopefully hold those guys accountable. And it, it just puts everything into perspective. And I think it's going to be a much smoother looking offense this time around. Yeah, you would certainly think so. Um, when you look at, you know, Doug Peterson is the head coach and play caller. Press Taylor is the offensive coordinator. Uh, what does an offensive coordinator, like from your experience, what are their jobs beyond calling the plays? Because I know that's what most people think about, but there's a lot more that goes into coordinating an offense than just calling the plays. Yeah. And I mean, the best, the best way to say it is, is you coordinate the offense. And I know that sounds like cliche or silly, but it's top to bottom, right? As the offensive coordinator, you're no longer just a quarterbacks guy. You're no longer an offensive line guy or wherever you were at before you coordinate that offense from top to bottom formations. Um, you know, uh, packages, personnel packages, all that stuff that goes through you, right? Um, the offensive line, the schemes, right? Those come from you. Yes, coaches are teaching their technique and this and that, but you dictate everything. Everything that goes on on that field comes from you. That's why you see offensive coordinators are the first guys, you know, to, to get that chop, you know, if the offense isn't doing well, right? You're not just, yeah, sometimes you're going to fire, you know, a receiver's guy or something very specifically, but generally speaking, you go straight to the top, you cut the head off the snake and, the offensive coordinator outside of play calling, I mean, to, to state it, you, you really couldn't without sitting here and, and explaining it, um, you know, for 20 or 30 minutes, just how much work, how much preparation, what they have to do to make sure that offense runs smoothly. I mean, it's just, it's unstatable. Yeah. And for him, you know, having the experience with Doug Peterson, like Lovey Smith, the Texans head coach, he's their defensive play caller and he doesn't have a defensive coordinator, but Doug Peterson wanted press Taylor in here wanted to get him more experience because he thinks he's a rising star. And, you know, he's the brother of Zach Taylor, of course, who just went and took his team to the Super Bowl. I don't think Zach was the most creative play caller last year, but he also didn't really need to be when you have the guys to run the pretty much they're running nine, eight, nine half the time. And if they weren't doing that, they were just handing it to Joe Mixon. Uh, but I think, I, I guess, I'm curious to see, like, is Press Taylor putting his stamp on this? Because he has experience outside of working with Doug Peterson. He was in Philly with Chip Kelly before Peterson got there. And then they have obviously grew their relationship after Peterson got there. I'm just really interested to see if, like, he puts his stamp on this or if he's more of just an extension of Doug Peterson. I would probably say given his youth and probably his lack of, of experience, he's – still got a hand in it. Doug does, right? Um, I'm sure he's in press's ear 24-7, talking about his past experiences. And I'm sure he's going to slowly kind of, you know, take um, his hand out of that pot as as things, you know, continue to move and, and press shows that he's ready for that challenge. But there is a big difference between coordinating and play calling. Just because you're a good coordinator doesn't necessarily mean you're a good play caller, right? The, the play calling takes a certain amount of creativity, um, a certain understanding of how your plays work together, how your schemes complement each other and stuff like that. So that in and of itself is a, is a totally different transition uh, than, than just setting up an offense or understanding an offense. So 
I would assume at some point he's going to have most of, of that responsibility, but I'm sure, like I said, Doug is, is supporting him right now, at least until he feels like he is comfortable enough. But Press Taylor came from a coaching tree, right? And, and there's a reason why that most of these guys stay together throughout their career. It's much easier to work with guys with the same philosophy, same mindset, um, language. The, the language of football is very diverse and, and very um, – uh, difficult but it's all the same if that makes sense you're talking about the same thing using different terms different verbiage different language it's easy to kind of be with the same guys and and to just have that communication flow freely throughout your whole career that's one of the biggest things here too is that press taylor's come from this coaching tree he's got experience working with doug peterson um, and other coaches on the staff and that's also going to um, aid him in being successful this year yeah, and then also, you know, Mike McCoy and Jim Bob Cooter have been around quarterbacks and around offenses in the NFL for a long, long time. So I think their their input um, will be invaluable as well, as long as you have everyone working towards the same goal and uh, kind of following in Doug Peterson's lead. And at this point, there's no reason to believe that that's not the case. Right, absolutely. And, and you know, it's not necessarily a bad thing, right, to have to have multiple leaders or multiple guys that are able to construct your offense, hold it down, and, and keep things uniform across, you know, multiple coaches and, and groups and all that kind of stuff. Because if you've got one guy explaining something different to Trevor than the other guy is, right, you're you're that's not good. You're gonna have conflict everywhere. And even down to the most minuscule details, this is important, right? In regards to uh, technique, form. Um, you know, where we're going with the ball, reading a defense this specific way, even, you know, throwing the ball or doing something a specific way, it all has to be uniform from top to bottom. So while it is good to have multiple heads in there, you know, they all have to be on the same page. And, and I just think, how could you not, how could you not be on the same page here? I mean, it just, it seems like it's a really good fit. Everything's put together well. The communication, we shouldn't have any issues with that. And I mean, you can just tell the way the players are discussing what they're going through and how camp has been and their observations of the offense and how comfortable they feel. We didn't get that sense last year, at least in my opinion. So they're on the right track. Yeah. And look, Doug Peterson, he's a Super Bowl winning head coach. He took the Eagles to the playoffs three, three straight years. I mean, he did a lot of things in Philly that a lot of people struggled to do. No one was able to bring home the Lombardi and he did it with a backup quarterback. Uh, backup quarterback that found his way to Jacksonville, of course, and uh, got paid a lot of money to not do much, but that's neither here nor there. So that's pretty much kind of how we view the coaching staff on the offensive side of the ball. Now, coaching is important. Scheme is important. Play calling is important. But at the at the end of the day, right, this is an, a, a Jimmy's and Joe's league more than an X's and O's league. You got to have both right? To get the job done at a high level consistently, but you, you can't get it done with good coaching. If you don't have good players, that's the bottom line. Um, you, you've got Trevor Lawrence at quarterback going into year two, uh, looking at, at the rest of the starting lineup. I kind of view Travis Etienne and James Robinson as starters at running back Christian Kirk, Marvin Jones, and Zay Jones as those starters at receiver Evan Ingram and Chris Manhurts at tight end. I know Dan Arnold will be a contributor as well. Um, and then on the offensive line, you've got Cam Robinson back on the big $18 million year or $18 million a year deal. Tyler Shatley 
has been taking the reps at left guard. Luke Fortner has been taking the reps at center, the rookie out of Kentucky, the 65th overall pick in the draft. And, of course, you have Brandon Scherf, who comes in at right guard and immediately establishes establishes himself as a leader of the offensive line and you know probably the best player on the Jaguars offense right now and then at right tackle is where you really have your question at this point between is it going to be Walker Little or Jawan Taylor at this point Jawan Taylor has taken more reps with the ones than Walker Little has but uh, it's going to be a competition and and you saw it today both guys were getting their opportunity with Trevor Lawrence uh, taking the snaps. So those are the the main starters. And then looking at the contributors, I have Dan Arnold again, LaVisca Chenault, Jamal Agnew, both of those at receiver. I think Snoop Connor will have a role even when James Robinson gets back. And then Laquan Treadwell, I think, is going to be a role player as well for this offense. Yeah, I mean, you just said it there. So many guys, right? So many guys they anticipate and hope will contribute this year. A lot of new names, right? Evan Ingram, um, Christian Kirk, Snoop Connor, Travis Etienne. While he's not a new name, he's going to be a new cog in the offense as he missed all of last year. Weapons. That's what I see. I see weapons. Can you utilize them? Yeah, we may not have the the top-of-the-line weapons, right? We don't have the flashiest toys out there. But can you put them in a position to win football games? And I immediately think back to um, the 2017 Philadelphia Eagles. 2017, right? Yeah. Who was that team comprised of? When you think about it, besides having Carson Wentz, and we know Nick Foles went and, and, and won the Super Bowl, who were their wide receivers? Well, they had a bunch of good running backs, and they had Alshon Jeffrey, right? They had um, Nelson Aguilar. Was Deshaun Jackson on that team? So he yeah, may have been, but he was probably 45 at the time, right? Yeah, it, there was no superstars. That's your point, right? Exactly. Alshon Jeffrey on the back half, you know, had a great career with, with Chicago, but was never the same in Philadelphia, right? Nelson Aguilar, I mean, we know how his time went in Philadelphia. The fact of the matter is you put players in the right place, you're going to succeed. You know, like you said, yes, it's Jimmy's and Joe's, it's X's and O's, a little bit of both. If you're really good at the X's and O's, you can probably get by with, you know, subpar Jimmy's and Joe's. Now, to an extent, right? You're not playing with, you know, guys off the street. You're not going to go win with that. But you can take a team that may not have the most talent and definitely win by being the most prepared, right, or the best scheme or just having no holes in your game. And that's what I think this this coaching staff is going to have to focus on. Yes, we've got guys that we think are going to play huge roles in this offense. Evan Ingram should be your Zach Ertz. He should be your vertical uh, tight end in this in this vertical zone run offense. That's That's how I see it shaping out. That guy should have 70 catches, 800 yards, 900 yards, 10 touchdowns, right? Utilize that guy at the scene. They didn't use any seam routes, any tight ends last year. That's going to change. Um, you know, Manhurts is going to be your primary blocking tight end, but I'll be honest with you, he might not even see 20% of the playing time this year. At least I don't think. If you're going to go two tight ends at any time, it's going to be Ingram and it's going to be Arnold. When you're running those wide zone uh, runs, stuff like that, you don't necessarily need a tight end who's going to blow a guy off the ball. You need a tight end who's going to be quick, get to the outside shoulder of the defensive lineman and, and wall him off. That's how you get those big, you know, outside zone plays to bust. So you don't necessarily need that prototypical blocking tight end. It's great to have one. Um, but Arnold and Ingram are going to be on that field a bunch, right? Anytime they go 21 personnel, I think those are going to be the two guys out there. Looking to the wide receivers. I spent a lot of money on Christian Kirk. 
I know tons of people have talked about it. We are sick and tired of them talking about it. They're going to keep talking about it, and we're going to keep talking about it until you know they go out there and prove that there's no reason to talk about it anymore, right? Make that money mean nothing. How does that money mean nothing? You go out there and win 10, 11 games, right? You've got 100 catches and 1,000 yards this year. That's when the money means nothing. So what we've got to get to, it's not going to be easy. Are they there yet? Are they prepared for it? I don't know. I don't know if they have the talent to do it, but I know they got the coaches and the scheme to do it. Um, looking at running backs, I'll, you know, I'll go through real quick. I've been kind of rambling here for a few minutes. Snoop oh, Connor's yeah. definitely going to get some carries, and he's going to have to be ready to go because even when James Robinson does come back, that's an Achilles, man. And, and, and I am absolutely dumbfounded about how he's able to participate. He's on the pup listing. A lot of people are. But that's something that, you know, most people don't come all the way back from. He's going to be 100%, but is his 100%, you know, 100%, from last year, right? He's going to lose. Yeah. A is it the same 100%? Exactly. And Snoop Connor is that same back. He's that same build. So he's going to be that, that, that guy who's going to give James Robinson a spell. And hopefully you don't lose anything in your, in your power run inside a run game with him there. Travis Etienne, in my opinion, almost going to be a, a bigger, if not a, as big of question mark going into the season, because he had a foot injury as well. Let's Frank, you know, you're not going to come back from that 100%. You might be 100%, but again, is he the looks same like it. He looks like it, and I hope he is, but we haven't seen <laughs> speed yet against you know a full-speed defense, and that's one thing that I worry about because unlike James Robinson, who just has to put his head down and run downhill, Travis Etienne has to win with his speed. He has to win with his speed by getting to the edge, and he has to bust those outside zone runs or you're not going to be successful. So for him, honestly, it's, it's more of a toss-up, but he's got more on his shoulders, I think, than either of those two other backs in the backfield. I think he does too because – As much as you love James Robinson, the Achilles was more recent than the Liz Frank for Travis Etienne. And James Robinson, as much as I love him, this is a guy who does everything you could possibly want from a work ethic standpoint. He He can operate in pass protection. He can catch passes out of the backfield. He's a really good uh, runner when it comes to his vision and patience and, and, and contact balance. But Travis Etienne hits the home runs. And that's one thing that the one thing that James Robinson really doesn't give you. And that's the one thing at the running back position that can really change the game. Like when the modern NFL getting four to five yards, a carry is good, but what's more important is picking up chunk plays. That's the I mean, big plays are the name of the game in the NFL. That's just the way it is now with, with the way offenses are and how, how coaches and, and the world has moved towards more analytics and understanding. It should be big plays or checkdowns pretty much all the time. Um, at least that's a lot how a lot of people look at it, and I tend to agree, especially when you have a quarterback like Trevor Lawrence, who, you know, you mentioned the talent. They might not have the most talented receiving room. Uh, they might not have the most talented offensive line. But when you have a quarterback that is as talented as Trevor Lawrence is, that can overcome some of those things as well when you have the play calling and the scheme to go along with it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like you just said, the game is evolving. The NFL is going to that big play or bust. Score as many points as you can. We're not spending as much money on defense anymore. We're not putting as much emphasis on defense. we got quarterbacks that can throw the ball 100-plus yards, not literally, but almost. Like We're almost there. <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, big plays. And that's the one thing that if Travis Etienne can bring back, right, that ability to break open in the open field and not get caught, 
you're going to gain some ground there. How many times has Jane Robinson been caught from behind? Right? Every, every time. Every time. Every time he gets, every every time he gets loose. Field. And you don't usually get those opportunities again, especially when they're Jaguars, right? If you don't score that touchdown, you might not get that chance to score that touchdown again. So his ability to break away from the line of scrimmage, to separate from the secondary and not get caught might be the most important thing this offense needs this year, period. Yeah, and I think when you talk about those big plays too, Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, and Evan Ingram, they all have speed. That's what they've added to this offense. They've added other things as well. Like they're not just one-trick ponies. But Christian Kirk can stretch the seam. He can also stretch vertically on the outside. You've seen it throughout his young career. Uh, Zay Jones, you haven't seen it as much, but that's certainly how the Jaguars plan on using him as that deep target at at the X receiver position. And then Evan Ingram, we all know about his athletic profile and how how freakish he can be, uh, perhaps getting out of New York where he wasn't surrounded with the best infrastructure, whether it be uh, the quarterback throwing him to the ball or, or the coaching staff to go, going from that to going to Doug Peterson, who I don't know who has had more success at the tight end position with different guys throughout their coaching career than Doug Peterson. Yeah. And, and the craziest thing about Evan Ingram's journey in the NFL is that stopgap in, in New York, which, okay, it's not really a stopgap. It's been his whole career may have been the worst fit for him possibly. Coming from Old Miss, a very, very vertical offense, right? He was able to show off his speed, show off his ability as a receiver, right? That's what he is. We know he's not a blocking tight end. We know he's not necessarily a traditional tight end. He's really a slower wide receiver, which is totally fine. Don't get me wrong. Those guys have a place in the offense. But then, you know, then, then he goes to New York where outside of Jeremy Shockey, name a good tight end that New York has had. I, I don't remember, at least in my lifetime, one. You know, it's kind of the same yeah. situation the Jaguars have been in. They don't utilize tight ends. So, you know, personally, Evan Ingram, to me, is is the, the biggest X factor in the receiving court, even outside of Christian Kirk, because I've seen what Christian Kirk can do. I think he's yeah, going to I don't to look at Kirk as the X factor, because at the very least, you're going to get a good quality starter. Right. Look at something out of him. What can we, what can we get out of Evan Ingram? What can we dig out of it? Because now you've got a offensive scheme that's going to utilize and revolve a lot of a lot of their their plays and a lot of their stuff around the tight ends. So now I need him to make that jump. I need him to make a huge jump. It can't just be a minuscule jump. He's got to become a big factor in this offense, a big factor, and a big reason why this team hopefully wins seven, eight, nine games this year. Right? It, it can't be on the other guys' shoulders. It can't be on Dan Arnold's shoulders alone because I think Dan Arnold and Evan Ingram are going to complement each other so well. One's going to have to be successful for the other to be successful, just like a pair of good edge rushers, right? If you have one really successful edge rusher and nobody else is getting pressure, that dude's getting double and triple teamed, then he's no longer effective. If Evan Ingram, you know, can't get off uh, a linebacker, Right. Well, okay. We'll put a linebacker on them, and, and we'll make sure we cloud Dan Arnold. We will take their best athletes away from them. That's what you have to avoid. So, everything is going to have to make the jump. I think he has a skill set to do it. And he's finally in an offense that centrically uses the tight end and will use him consistently. Yeah, and he's been heavily, heavily used uh, throughout OTAs and now getting into training camp. I, I've He's going to be targeted a lot early on, and, and if he capitalizes on those targets, which early indications are good, 
he could be in for a career year. And now uh, when you look at everything, I, I think in a Doug Peterson offense, you might not need that true number one receiver. But ideally, when you're talking about having a a a prodigy at quarterback coming into his second year, which is what Trevor Lawrence has been throughout his life, throughout his career, you would probably like to have somebody that is a little bit more established as that true outside, you know, it doesn't matter if I'm covered, just throw me the football and I'll go get the job done type of guy. And that is the one thing the Jaguars don't have on offense. And when you look at the receiving core. Yeah. 100% right. But who says a tight end can't be that guy? Like you mentioned, yeah, you, you, you don't necessarily have to have a number one wide receiver. Okay, I get that. But you're going to have a number one receiver regardless. And the Philadelphia Eagles won a Super Bowl in 2017, not that long ago, with a tight end leading the receivers. Mm-hmm. If I'm not mistaken, Zach Ertz led that team in catches and yards that year. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, he was their most targeted receiver several seasons. Yeah. And Dallas Goddard is right behind him now. Yep, exactly. It can absolutely be done. And I'm okay with that if it translates to wins, right? But if you've got a, a tight end who's your number one receiver and you've got three or four wins, then it's not okay. I don't care if, if Evan Ingram has, you know, 85 catches for 1,000 yards, but the receivers didn't do jack and we didn't go anywhere. We've got four wins. That didn't matter, right? right. You can have a number one tight end. You can have a tight end be your number one receiver, but it's got to translate to wins the same way as your – Hopefully your number one receiver would translate to wins. It's the exact same thing. Yeah, and it it will be one thing about Doug Peterson when you look at his offense. Uh, it is a pass-first offense. It does rely on a lot of West Coast principles, you know, the quick game stuff that you saw from Bill Walsh and then Mike Holmgren and then now Doug Peterson uh, and, of course, Andy Reid prior to Doug Peterson. Uh, but they've mixed in a lot of play-action stuff. There's going to be a lot of movement pre and post snap, which gives that quarterback. I can't, I still can't fathom why they didn't do it more last year for your rookie quarterback to help him identify coverage. Uh, but you know, there's a lot of things they didn't do last year. And then you've also got the RPO and the read option stuff, which is a lot of the stuff that Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne had success with at Clemson. Yeah. Etienne's going to be so crucial to Trevor's, I think second year jump. The familiarity, we said that word a lot today, it, it's going to be there. Um, he adds that piece to the backfield, like you mentioned, where you can run those type of RPOs. It's a legitimate threat. You think anybody sitting there watching James Robinson run an RPO is going to be worried at all about, about the, the backfield? Not really, no, right? He doesn't really add a threat. So there's so much that ETM brings to the table in regards to his familiarity with Trevor and, and just the way that he – do things differently, something that the Jaguars haven't had on this roster for quite some time. I can't remember the Jaguars really had a, a good complementary speed, scat back, got great hands, all that kind of stuff. It's going to add a whole new dimension uh, to your team. And, I mean, you just talked about the big playability a couple minutes ago, and we're talking about receivers and, and who can you know lead you to victory. Travis Etienne could be that guy too. I've seen him. We've all seen him catch the ball extremely well as my mind's over here now sneezing and having herself a little – Dog attack there, but he can break away in the pass game as well, and you're gonna have to utilize that that aspect of his game. And, and for Trevor to have his safety valve, which for you know for running backs or for I'm sorry, quarterbacks is usually a running back or a tight end, but having that running back 
who caught tons of balls for you in Clemson back right next to you, he's going to feel right at home. And I think that's great for him. It's going to be super, like I said, imperative on his or to his second year jump. Yeah. What's kind of funny about ETN, and I've talked about it recently, he could not catch a cold when he got to Clemson and he, he kept progressing and kept progressing. And that's one of the reasons he stayed his final year there um, instead of entering the draft the season prior and even since he's gotten to Jacksonville, he's improved that receiving. Like, I think his hands are better right now significantly than they were last year at this time. And that's very encouraging, in my opinion. Not that they were bad last year, but he still kind of looked like a running back catching the football. To me, he now looks like a really natural pass catcher. And that's going to be dangerous because they are going to line him up. They're going to line him up, obviously, at running back, but he's going to get slot targets and he's going to get snaps out wide as well. And that's another thing that I think is exciting about this offense uh, with his ability to line up in the backfield out wider in the slot. Evan Ingram is going to do that as well. And I don't think you're going to see Evan Ingram getting carries out of the backfield, but he's going to be shifting all around the formation. Christian Kirk is going to do the same thing as well. And he might actually get some carries. And then you also look at LaVisca Chenault. They've been getting him incorporated in some of those quick, uh, you know, just get your playmaker the ball and let them do the rest. And of course, in that offense, in that style of offense, you need receivers out on the edge that are blocking. And I think that's where Zay Jones and Laquan Treadwell and guys like that come into play as well. Yeah, most definitely. So to touch on the running backs, I always like to say you don't have to have good hands as a running back. You just got to be able to catch the ball. I don't care if it looks pretty, right? But as right. soon as it's in your hands, you tuck that and you run, and, and it's a, it's the same position to you. So, you know, I, I think a running back can be a guy that you can, I guess, you know, teach to catch the ball. I mean, it's not something you can really teach, but as long as you're not dropping it, you're catching it, you're, you're tucking it, we're good to go. Um, you know, you mentioned tight ends and, and you know, not just tight ends, but the personnel and the uh, flexibility, the versatility that the Jaguars are going to be able to roll out with the personnel um, you know, you can give that ball to Evan Ingram. I know you said you don't necessarily <laughs> think you're going to give a tight end an end around, but I've seen it before. And if there end any- around, maybe, but not like just a straight up carry as a running back. No, yeah, not straight out of the backfield, right? We might be turning around, getting off of motion, something like that. Yeah. But still a carry. If there's anybody that I'd, I'd, I'd want to have do it, everything was one of those guys on the list. So definitely, you know, it just all goes back to versatility. How many different things can you do with the guys that you have? And the more things you can do, the more unpredictable you become. The less predictable you are, right, the harder it is for teams to, to, to really, you know, nail down your tendencies and, and then you're harder to game plan against, which is obviously in turn going to be harder for teams to beat you. It's all connected, right, from A to Z, all the way through. If you want to win a Super Bowl, you got to check this box, move on to the next one, check that one too, and these are all part of the process. Um, big-bodied receivers who can block on the outside are going to be instrumental in this offense. And like you said, Zay Jones, Laquan Treadwell, very big frame bodied receivers who can block. LaVisca Chenault, not necessarily the biggest guy out there, but he's solid. He's strong. Uh, and I think, you know, he could become a really good blocker as well. So yeah, he's going to have to do that. I think to get more gonna, playing time. Yeah, he's right. He's going to have to, because he's not mm-hmm. catching the ball. So Again, I know we it, it sounds perfect when we say it out loud because it, it feels like they have all the pieces. We've got to see how they work together. But, you know, season three, episode one, two days of training camp in, it seems like they have all the pieces. 
it seems like they can do everything they're looking for. Just see if it happens. Yeah, and of course, we don't want to jump the gun with like what's happening out there and uh, non-padded practices, but um, these are kind of not nothing that we're talking about right now really is based off of what we've seen so far at practice. A little bit of it is in terms of what, what you see them trying to utilize these players and do with these players. But in terms of the skill sets and what Doug Peterson has done in the past, all this is based off of, you know, our analysis throughout the off season. And one thing, you know, you mentioned it does sound kind of all rosy right now. We can't forget Trevor Lawrence, his struggles last year. A lot of it was not on him, certainly, but, uh, he's going to have to rebound in a big way. This offense is going to have to rebound in a big way. One of the worst offenses we've ever seen in Jacksonville, maybe the worst, honestly. Uh, a, a big piece of that is going to be this offensive line. And, and we now know, you know, obviously Cam Robinson at left tackle. It looks like Shatley at left guard and Fortner at center, Brandon Scherf at right guard, Walker Little and Jawan Taylor in competition. What do you think about that over there? For me, specifically, just the fact that there is a competition, just the fact that we are seeing different rotations, seeing different fives, that's great. Move those guys around. See what fits best. Everyone kind of just penciled in Shatley as the center. I know you and I had talked about it, um, if not on the podcast, but I know know, it had been discussed prior to that. He can play guard. Fortner can play guard, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Little Walker Little might be able to play guard. Juwan Taylor might be able to play guard. They haven't gotten that far yet. But we've seen them move some guys around, right? So that at least gives me the idea that they are going to do everything they can to find the best five. Um, I haven't obviously seen it. I haven't seen a lot of Walker Little tape, um, you know, outside of, of you know one or two games last year. I've seen a lot of Juwan Taylor tape, and it's not great. So you've got to think that there's got to be some movement on that offensive line this offseason. And if it's if there is no movement, it's because Walker Little didn't go earn a job or Ben Barch didn't go earn a job, right? Shatley is going out there to earn his job. He's been a backup his entire you know time here in Jacksonville. He's going to have to go out there and earn it. Um, Fordner, a rookie, right, replacing the shoes of Linder. If he's at center, another guy that's got to go out there and earn it. So that shows me that if these guys can break through, right, and now they may be by default because they've been – Shatley's been here the longest. He's got a lot of experience and – you know, Fortner, maybe one of the only two guys that can snap the ball right now based on how uh, Casey McDermott's um, performance today was not great. Right. It just shows you that that Walker Little may not be what we thought he was. Now, that's if he doesn't crack the lineup, right? If there's no movement, if he doesn't overtake Jawan Taylor or Jawan Taylor doesn't come out and have an amazing camp and solidify his spot as the right tackle. Um, you know, it, it'll obviously show you that these guys aren't exactly what we thought they were, but we wouldn't have known that last year because there wasn't any competition. We didn't see any of these guys moving around with the first team and getting first team reps. Um, and that's, you know, that, that, that's what hinders you when you do things that way. You don't see what these guys are capable of. You don't know. So hopefully this coaching staff is giving themselves the chance to fully understand and fully figure out what these guys are capable of. And hopefully we have the best five going into camp that can keep Trevor upright. Yeah, and so one question I have for you, I've thought about it, and I have my opinion, but I, I want to know what you think. Do you think you know getting Phil Rauscher in here as the offensive line coach and Doug Peterson calling the plays and this West Coast kind of more quick strike timing stuff, maybe you're not vertical setting as much, maybe you're quick setting, 
could that help Jawan Taylor? Like he struggled to vertical set big time. And that is exactly what George Warhop asked his tackles to do consistently. Could that lead to a much better performance from Jawan? Look him looking more comfortable. Yes and no. Um, yes, because it gives you less chances to um, be exposed. Just like you said, right? A lot of quick game. This offense is going to feature a ton of quick game, a ton of RPO. Um, so in one aspect, you're you're trying to hopefully uh, misconstrue and confuse the defense, right? In an RPO, I'm probably coming off the ball, but I can't get down the field. But it's going to protect me because I'm not going to get a pass rush, Right. In these quick set drop throws, you know, two-step, three-step, you know, quick West Coast hitch, quick game stuff, going to protect me. I don't have to set up as far. That guy's going to have not as much time to bend the edge. However, if that's what's, you know, causing me to perform better, it's still going to show up on tape because you're going to have third and longs in the NFL. You're going to have plays where, you know, hey, we're, we're, we're second and one here. Let's take a shot, right? I need a couple seconds to get my guy back there get a ball downfield or whatever it may be. And, and I think those instances are going to continue to show up on tape. Um, I think those are really the problems that you see mostly anyway, because you go look at film, you know, someone like you or, or, you know, some of the other guys that watch a ton of film, you're going to see every single wrinkle, right? You're going to see when he didn't necessarily get a great uh, reach block or didn't get across somebody's face or, you know, didn't get a great, you know, drop step to set a good edge, but that may have not have resulted in a sack. It may have not resulted in, you know, the play, um, you know, being messed up in any way, shape, or form. Um, so he probably was still hidden at times as well. There's probably a lot more there that, you know, would be concerning um, to the more trained eye. But I don't think you can completely hide him in a way that's going to make him seem better or, or really solidify himself unless he comes in as a better player all around. Yeah, I just think maybe the scheme will be a better fit. Um, and and not that it will be necessarily hiding him, which certainly it could, but perhaps just him being more comfortable leads to more confidence. And he plays more like the guy who you thought you were getting when you drafted him in the second round. Cause everyone liked him coming out of Florida. There were not a lot of critics. No one was saying, Oh, that's too early for Jawan Taylor. If anything, some people thought he should go in the first round. Yeah. My only thing with that, I'm, I'm a big believer in scheme does not dictate talent and vice versa. Right. So, you know, it, yes, the scheme, you could be a better fit for the scheme, or that the scheme could benefit your skill set better, but that's only because your skill set is what it is, right? Am I explaining that like well enough? Absolutely. Know? Right. So, so yes, I understand that, um, but it, you know, it still makes you the same player. So, you you want to take a guy's ability and be able to mold him into any scheme, right? Okay, I've got a zone run, wide zone run schemed offense right now. I need my lineman to be a little bit thinner and a little bit quicker, right? This guy's got the ability. His footwork's great. Everything's good. I've just got to get him down 20 pounds. I know he can move faster, um, you know, the guy across from or, or as fast as I need him to move, but the ability is still there. Just because the scheme changes, your ability doesn't want to change as much. You could be a better fit, but, again, like I said, it doesn't necessarily change your ability. It doesn't necessarily change the player that you are. Um, you know, yeah. if we have a, a, another coordinator or another coach on the road that changes that scheme, and now he's not a good fit. Well, it's, it's kind of just like the ability wasn't there, but you did a better job of hiding it. Right. He, it can be a better fit for him. He can have a better year in this scheme, but not necessarily a better player. Yeah. And I, th I think hopefully you're not having a new scheme in here anytime soon. Right. <laughs> for one. But looking at the Fingers rest crossed. of the offense, what's that? Fingers crossed. Right. Yeah. Um, looking at the rest of the offensive line, I think 
you you got to have smart football players up front. And I do think they have smart football players. Um, I think Brandon Scherf is incredibly intelligent. He's also just an insane athlete at the right guard position. Like you can see him Olay defensive linemen uh, and cause them to just be going 10 yards in the wrong direction. You, you can see him uh, quickly getting a hand on someone as soon as he knows that he's gotten enough of a push on him. He, he pivots the other direction and he's on someone else as quick as you can blink an eye. And I think uh, to have him next to your rookie and Luke Fortner and potentially next to Walker Little, if Little wins the job, having Scherf there, uh, being able to communicate with both of those players and, and kind of having them watch him, that could just be great for, for this offensive line. Yeah, I could not have said it any better myself. Having somebody there who knows the scheme, who communicates, is um, has tons of experience in this league, is is absolutely, for lack of better terms, phenomenal for a young player, for a rookie, for a guy that does not have a lot of experience. And if I'm a coach, that's the first place I'm looking to plug a guy with that kind of experience, with that ability, is right next to somebody who I think is going to need that, that little, you know, nudge, you know, whether it be understanding what's going on in front of me, you know, as I'm learning the plays, um, you know, whether it be a guy that I know um, can complement the player next to him, their, their weaknesses, right? Stuff like that. You got to put that stuff together. Brandon Scherf is a guy that I've got 100% confidence in him no matter what scheme we're in, right? No matter what yeah. we're doing, no matter what we're running. And a guy like that is is a guy that cannot be overstated. You cannot overvalue that guy. Um, you know, he's a guy that you need. He was Brandon Linder was was that guy, right? I've talked about it before how, how important centers are. Um, we talk about you know having smart guys up front, that center understanding not only what the line is doing, but what everyone is doing around him, from quarterbacks to receivers to running backs. I um, mean, need even tight ends because they're all an extension of the blocking scheme. That's imperative. Tyler Shatley, I think, has to be that guy. Has to be that guy that's been here for years. Um, there's a reason why he's stuck around. Um, I he's super smart. Um, you know, and, and to have two of those guys potentially, one on the left and one on the right. So, you know, you got a guy in the middle who can talk to your right tackle and your center, and you got a guy on the left that can talk to your left tackle and your center. That's, you know, that's a match made in heaven. That's that's communication across the entire offensive line. And if you have seamless communication across five guys, especially up front, I mean, that could do wonders for your football team. Yeah, and I think with Phil Rauscher leading the pack here with this offensive line, they're going to communicate because he's not going to accept anything else. Yeah, it's got to be loud. Everyone's got to hear you. It's got to be dramatic. You know, and, and like, yeah, he's preaching that all day. And it sounds like it, right? He's screaming out there, getting loud, and, and that's what you want. I mean, it. Look, when you're up front, when you're on the line like that, you know what's going on, right? I got guys in front of me, right? And, and I'm in, and, and to them, I'm in front of them, and it's just it's one on one. It's head up. You know, it's I got you and you got me and, and we're at it. Best man wins. So no one cares if you're yelling out the front, if you're identifying who's in front of you, who the mic is. That's the greatest thing about, about being on the offensive and defensive line is that there's no secrets up there. Guys are yelling. Guys are communicating. If the defense really wanted to, they could pay attention and probably figure out what was going on. But it doesn't matter because this is just best on best. So I think it's fantastic. I can't wait to see. Riley, what are you doing? She can bust into the door. I can't wait to see what 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 Rauscher has him doing, but just to hear that he is that um, you know fiery, loud, obnoxious guy, I love it, man. Because that's what linemen are, dude. We're just a bunch of big children, obnoxious, loud, and and you've got to have some motivation out there. 
Hey, I didn't call him obnoxious. Well, I mean, that's, that's your a, words. That's not a bad word, man. Hey, that's that's not a, a slight on him in any way. Obnoxious. Not on the football field, right? Yeah, no, not at all. So one last thing I kind of want to talk about. Um, Doug Peterson is an incredibly aggressive offensive play caller, especially on fourth down. This is a guy who kind of has helped lead this revolution into more coaches going forward on fourth down. Obviously, this is situational. You're not going to go for it on every fourth down. But uh, going for it when the analytics, when the numbers tell you that you are in an advantageous situation, Doug Peterson was at the forefront of that. And, of course, the Eagles, they were a very uh, analytics-based organization, still are. So um, him bringing that here, I think that can be really exciting, too, in terms of just getting fans excited about a coach showing confidence in his team and in his quarterback. Yeah. I've always been, I've always been a big proponent of going for it on fourth down. Always have. I know, you know what, probably five or 10 years ago, maybe not even that long ago. Like it was so taboo for, for an offense, for a coach to go for it on fourth down. You know, if you're not within your own, or I'm sorry, not your own, hopefully you're not within your own 30. If you're not within <laughs> the other team's 30, right. And you're not within two yards. I mean, there were all these things. That's opened up. And what have we seen in response to that? We've seen teams win games, right? We, we've seen the difference literally, I'm sure you could probably find it, in making the playoffs and not making the playoffs, right? It's part of the game. It's a, it'll give you a huge leg up if you can continue to extend drives. I mean, you can't even go into depth about, you know, how, and how many different ways that can help you with clock management and just, you know, on and on and on. That needs to come here. That needs to come to Jacksonville. You can't play scared anymore. Coaches are going for it on, on fourth down, fourth and two, fourth and three. You know, if I'm within a certain range, is this any better than punting? All that stuff matters. And this is actually one of the phases of the game where I think analytics can be a huge piece. Um, I'm not a huge analytic guy. There are definitely, you know, tendency stuff and, uh, you know, other analytics that definitely play a huge role in, into the game. But fourth down, the success rates, um, you know, comparing them to, the, the change, the, the field, the change in field position, right, after a punt um, rather than, you know, the, the turnover on downs, all of these things are quantifiable and, and can be shown to somebody. Hey, when I do this and I convert this, my chances of scoring a touchdown this drive go up, right? You know, my, my chances of burning an extra two minutes off the clock goes up, you know, things like that. So you have to factor that in to these games, you know, especially when you look at a playoff game that, a team couldn't what run out 13 seconds and that's all it took. And then they lost a, a division or a conference championship game, right? The margins yeah. are becoming so thin. Anything you can do to get a leg up in this league is going to help you. So going for it on fourth down, if that's what it's got to be, it's what it's got to be. And if I'm not mistaken, Doug Peterson as a head coach has one of the top fourth down percentages ever. So that's a good sign. Yeah. He's smart with it, but he's aggressive as well. He's aggressive and smart. Two things you love to hear. So we've talked a lot about a lot of things on this offense. We have not talked a lot about Trevor Lawrence. So the question we're going to ask here is, will Trevor Lawrence have that year two breakout? And in answering that question, we can talk about, you know, what he needs to improve on and how things are going to work here for him in Jacksonville this year. Yeah. I mean, I think to say no in regards to is Trevor going to have that, that second year jump would be just silly. I mean, I, I don't think you can take a look at how year one went, um, you know, how the Jaguars have improved, you know, whether 
it be a ton in your eyes or a little in your eyes. They have improved. Um, the staff around Trevor is better. The situation around Trevor is better. I think the offensive line around Trevor is a little bit more stable. Um, it's definitely better in some regards. Obviously, you replaced um, you know, AJ Cannon with Brandon Scherf. That's obviously an upgrade. Um, you know, you lost Brandon Linder, but he had been injured. Um, you know, he had been a stalwart and it had been great when he had been in there, but his availability had become an issue. So you know, you're probably in, in a net gain or loss there, depending on how you look at it. Receivers, better. Running backs, you're getting back a guy like Travis Etienne. It's better. You can't look at this and say Trevor should not have a better year, should not make that jump. Um, and if he doesn't, we're in trouble, right? So yeah. all of these things together makes me believe that, yes, Trevor's going to make that jump. Um, you've seen quarterbacks, Josh Allen, took a little bit longer, three years, um, but guys like Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, some of these quarterbacks that had that raw natural talent, you know, just were supposed to take their teams to the top immediately. We, we saw them all struggle in year one, right? Very rarely does a quarterback. Outside come of Herbert, man, that guy. Outside, yeah, no, Unbelievable. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. I will give you that. And even then he took a, a slight step in year two. If I may Oh, yeah, say. certainly he was better last year and he'll be right? better this year too. So, so I'm expecting the same thing from Trevor because I think Trevor's a better quarterback than those guys. Now, we'll have to see. Is he a better NFL quarterback? That's a totally different question. Um, but based on what I've seen up until then, and then obviously taking into consideration everything he had to deal with last year, I don't think we saw the best from him. Um, and it, it's kind of obviously we didn't see the best from him, we hope, because if that's the best, we're screwed. But I think there's something to be said to be able to get that out year one. It sucks that you lost the year, and it was your rookie year, and I think that that could be you know potentially huge for you know a, a normal player. I don't think Trevor is a normal player. I think he is a generational talent, especially at the position that he plays. Um, and I think to get those bumps and bruises out of the way and to, you know, have what we would all hope and assume is going to be the worst year of your NFL career, win-wise, situation-wise, to get that out of the way early it might, you know, fare well for him going forward. Yeah, I think he had lost, like, I can't remember if it was four or seven games his entire career, college and high school. <laughs> and then he comes in and, and they lose uh, – Four in four weeks. 14 games last year, yeah. Yeah, he matched his total probably, you know, at the very beginning of the season there. But, yeah, I also believe in Trevor Lawrence as this year two breakout. You mentioned a lot of players that did it. Carson Wentz is the prime example for this situation, right? Not because he is a similar talent to Trevor Lawrence, but because he is working with Doug Peterson. And, and, and you know, for all the – everything we want to say about Carson Wentz and now he's got his last opportunity really in Washington. And of course, ironically, the commanders and Jaguars play week one, but Wentz, when he was on, when he was confident before he kind of lost his mojo, he was an athletic quarterback with a big arm. And I think you can look at Trevor Lawrence and say that same thing. Trevor Lawrence is a more talented quarterback based on your college evaluation and even if you just look at Trevor Lawrence last year and you look at his highlights compared to anyone else's highlights, you would think this guy could be one of the best quarterbacks in football. It was all the other stuff, the, the consistency uh, factor with Trevor. I mean, the play calling, the, the pass protection, his receivers dropped 300 yards worth of passes. I mean... And, of course, he was growing himself throughout the year. He came in as a rookie, and 
from a Clemson offense that really was a lot of, like we said, the RPO read option, just really they leaned a little too much into that. To, and it didn't really prepare him, in my opinion, for the NFL. So he was developing and he was having all this go wrong around him. And I think this year you look for a lot more to go right around him from the coaching staff to the receivers to getting Travis Etienne back to having Brandon Scherf on the offensive line, who's the best offensive lineman you've seen in Jacksonville for a long time. No disrespect to Brandon Linder. I think everything is is leaning in the right direction for Trevor to have a big breakout. And uh, when you also look at the auxiliary pieces like Dan Arnold, LaVisca, Jamal Agnew, I think those guys can have a really positive impact as well. Um, so, yeah, I expect Trevor Lawrence to have a big year two breakout. You've seen it from the Doug Peterson offense. You've seen him get the most out of quarterbacks consistently. Uh, and there's a lot of other pieces, I think, you can get excited about uh, Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence working with. So yeah, I expect a big year two breakout for Trevor. I expect him to be, you know, above 25 touchdown passes and certainly below 15 interceptions. And I know the numbers aren't the end all be all, but at the bottom, at the end of the day, that's how a lot of people judge quarterback play right or wrong, which it is wrong to just judge it based off of those touchdown interception numbers. But I think, even just judging it based off of that, you will see a big breakout for Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, and I think it's wrong to an extent, right? Like you said, yes, you don't necessarily look at the numbers, and that's not who you are. I mean, Trevor's year one is a direct correlation to that statement. You look at his year one numbers, as abysmal as they are, we know that's not the quarterback he is. We know and he wasn't as bad as those numbers suggest. No, not even close, right? Except the drops. How many? How many times did the ball go through someone's hands uh, only to be intercepted? Right, uh, forty plus I, times. Yeah, I mean it's 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 absolutely insane. Um, no, not to be intercepted. Excuse me. Uh, yeah, not forty plus. I thought it was an exaggeration, <laughs> but I thought we were going past that. One. Um, no, that's how many times they dropped the ball, though. Yeah, and you like you said, for three hundred something yards. I mean that that's insane. That's almost that's almost an entire receivers production right you, a, a fourth or fifth receiver on a team that should be their entire production for the year right 40 catches 300 yards and you had all of that dropped by your whole by your whole receiving core so i mean it's tough and, and you're going to see i think the biggest thing here for trevor is you're going to see yes were those mistakes trevor's mistakes or were they truly the mistakes of urban meyer and the coaching staff and the lack of preparedness that they were able to to um, get Trevor to a lack of, of level of preparedness. They were able to get Trevor to. Well, I don't just the rookie stuff, right? Like any rookie yeah. quarterback is going to have that stuff outside of like Justin Herbert. Yeah. You, you definitely hope so. I mean, you definitely think so. And time will tell you that, but you know, the, the, the same conversation would, would be having, we, the same conversation would be having had, I think that's how you would say that, right? The same conversation would be having had, if there weren't the same issues last year, if we didn't have Urban Meyer. If Trevor came out and had that year, we'd be having the same conversations. It would just be a tad bit more concerning. Remember Josh Allen's first year? I mean, it was awful. I mean, right. Horribly, horribly bad. Very, very bad. Again, it took him a little bit longer to develop and become that guy, but he did. Um, and we've seen it from Trevor. He can make all the throws. He can make all the throws. The positioning of the football, his arm strength, the windows that he can fit balls into are just insane. Personally, when I watched this film last year, when I went back and watched every interception, that was his fault. 
So one that was not a uh, misroute like you saw at the Tavon Austin Seattle, um, one that didn't go through a receiver's hands into the hands of a defender. It, uh, uh, mistakes that were Trevor's fault specifically, bad timing, poor decision-making, um, you know, misjudgment of, of speed or, or, you know, whatever it may be. He did not make that mistake twice. Mm-hmm. He did not make that mistake twice. Go look at it. In Houston, I think his first two interceptions were very poor timing. He did not anticipate the speed of the corners converging on the ball. I think the very first one that he threw, um, I think he was trying to get the ball to Chenault between two defenders, and they were able to converge on the ball, which I think a lot yeah. faster. He didn't anticipate that window closing as fast as it did. Going into 2022 now, we can't see any more of that stuff. right? We've got to right. see those, those issues have been put to bed and, and put to rest. Uh, and the other things that we did not attribute to Trevor, we've got to knock some of that stuff off too. Now, the drops and stuff like that, obviously, are not going to be his fault, um, but you've got to be prepared now because you have no excuse, right, unless it comes out that Doug Peterson's running, you know, an, an, an anarchy locker room, which obviously that's not the case. You have no excuses to not be prepared or for um, you to not have your guys in the right place. I don't care if the receiver's coach was horrible, right? As a quarterback, you take on that responsibility to make sure your receivers know what's going on, where they need to be, what routes they're running, what their spacing is, stuff like that. And I think now, if, if it hadn't happened already, I guarantee you Trevor's got his hand uh, more in that room, more in their preparation. So he knows that they're on the same page because ultimately it's him, you know, that, that, that gets the bad rap. It's him that gets, that gets cut off in the end. It's always the quarterback, no matter how bad the receivers are. Um, and you can see that firsthand. We know how bad the receivers were. We know how much that contributed to Trevor's downfall. Um, and national media, you know, for the most part understands that too, but you will still hear and see people talk about the concerns of Trevor Lawrence, not the concerns about the situation that he was in last year, the concerns of Trevor Lawrence. So until you can completely, you know, iron out as many mistakes as possible, you're still a scapegoat for any issues that happen with the team, with the offense, the whole nine yards. So he needs to be in there helping these guys prepare, making sure they know what's going on. That's what it means to be a leader. So all of that combined, I think he's going to take that, that year or two jump. Um, and, I mean, again, just what he can do, I, I think, is is on par and if not better than the top quarterbacks that we're seeing in the game right now. And I know that's probably a homer statement, and I'm going out there. But no, we've seen uh, it's, it's not. His ceiling is as high as any quarterback on the earth right now. Higher, higher. His, I think his ceiling can be higher. Than, Maybe. Than I, I think Justin like, Herbert cool. is insane. Right. Um, I physically he is insane. Patrick Mahomes is insane. But I think from a talent standpoint, Trevor Lawrence should be in that conversation if he has everything surrounding him that we think he has. Yeah. Now, now where that ceiling is and if he can reach that ceiling, a much bigger debate. Absolutely. Talent alone, like you said, I think he has a higher ceiling or as high a ceiling than any quarterback in this league. Can he reach that ceiling, right? I think he has a higher ceiling than Patrick Mahomes, than any of these quarterbacks. I do. He has a higher ceiling based on his talent, what we've seen. Can he get there? You're going to tell me. I know, I know it sounds crazy. I can see your face, but talent and everything alone, he could. Could be a better quarterback than Mahomes. Will he ever? I don't think it's crazy to say that. It's just like God, thinking about the things Patrick Mahomes has done on an NFL field. And I don't want to say that he is. <laughs> Please, anybody who's listening and watching this, I know it's going to come back. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying he can. Will he? Don't know. Hope so, but don't know. All right, so uh, who is going to be the offensive MVP for the Jaguars? And if your answer is Trevor Lawrence, I think it 
probably should be, but we'll also give another another player beyond Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, well, like I said, it's Trevor Lawrence regardless. It has to be Trevor Lawrence. But, you know, being that we understand it's going to be the quarterback, who's going to be outside of that? It's Evan Ingram. I think it has to be Evan Ingram because of how much we know Doug Peterson used utilizes his tight ends. Excuse me. We've been how, talking for a long time here. <laughs> how it's, it's been a while, right? It's been a couple months. I haven't done this in a while. I got to get my, my wind back. But that offense goes as the tight ends go. We've seen it. We know it firsthand. So, you know, you've got to have those guys in there. Evan Ingram is going to have to be your MVP. Um, he's going to probably see the most targets, if not more than Christian Kirk, but they're probably They'll be not. up in the air between those two. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I'd have to guess they'd probably be up pretty much on par with him getting the slight edge again, just based on what I've seen in the past. But if this offense is going to go, tight ends are going to help you. Tight ends are going to help you stretch the field just as much as your X is, right? They're going to stretch it on the outside, but, but these seam tight ends, these, these guys running these vertical routes from inside the formation are going to stretch those interior safeties possibly stretch those linebackers. And, and I mean, that does, that works wonders for any of your routes coming underneath. I mean, I can't even go begin to explain like what that does for the scheme, but because of that and how complex it is, it has to be a tight end. It has to be Evan Ingram. Could be Dan Arnold. That'd be great too. But uh, I think personally, Evan Ingram's got more talent than Dan Arnold. He does. He does. Yeah, well, speed. We, we've got to have it be him. He's got to be that guy. Arnold proved he could be a consistent target last year, but yeah, his ceiling is nowhere near Evan Ingram's. And I really like Dan Arnold. And I think if Dan Arnold was your number one tight end, your your number one receiving tight end, you'd be in decent shape. Uh, but Evan Ingram just gives you so much higher of a ceiling there. Uh, I, I like that pick a lot. I think it's a great pick. He is the X factor. No question about it here in terms of really taking things over the top. Um, I think I, I'm going to go with, I, I think Doug Peterson is probably the right answer, but we're, we're picking players, not coaches. Uh, I'm going to go with Travis Etienne just because I think he will be so heavily utilized, not only as a runner, but as a receiver. And like you said, it's about making those big plays and, and taking the top off and, and, you know, pushing the ball down the field and, and Travis Etienne can help you do that, carrying it and catching the ball. Yeah, that was my number two guy. That would absolutely have been my number two if I didn't have the option of Evan Ingram. People are probably going to sit there and say, well, why not Christian Kirk? Because I expect that out of Christian Kirk, right? So if Christian Kirk comes out and does what I expect him to do, he's not going to be your team MVP. Yeah, I mean, he should be 100 catches and 1,000 yards, 1,100 yards, whatever. Now, if he goes out there and puts up 130, and we're talking about 1,500 yards and 15 touchdowns, well, then okay. Yeah. Right? But he's, he's going to have to do what he was brought here to do. And I think even if he does do that, that doesn't put you in a position to win. Like, it doesn't put you in a position to be an over-the-top team. You're still going to have to find somebody else, that X-Factor guy like we're talking about, that's going to push you over the top. Can't just be one guy. Yeah, you. even though I do like Christian Kirk and I think he's a quality starter, you don't want him to be your most scary offensive weapon, right? Uh, exactly. You don't want him to be the player that you're trying to instill fear and in defenses with. And Travis Etienne and Evan Ingram, both, if they reach their ceiling, they absolutely could be. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's not that I don't want him to be or he can't be. But right now, he has to be. Right? Yeah. So I, mean, I, I want him to instill fear. I hope he instills fears on, on opposing DCs at night. But but again, like that, that's what you're expecting. I'm expecting him to be the number one receiver. 
I'm expecting yes. him to be the guy that Trevor finds consistently that that that's leading this receiver room and hopefully is in the top 15, top 10 wide receivers in the NFL. But you know, we'll see. Yeah, I look at him more as probably someone who will be in that 15 to 20 range uh, if things really work out. But you know, that's not a bad thing, especially when you have these explosive other these other weapons that are explosive or potentially explosive. All right, so uh, we've done year two breakout. We both see it for Trevor. We've done offensive MVP. Final little thing here we're going to go have, go over. Where will this offense rank in total offense at the end of the 2022 NFL season? Um, you know, I, we don't expect a complete like, breakthrough this year. Right? I, I, I don't expect a complete breakthrough this year. I expect them to take a huge leap from where they were. But let's take a look at where they were. They were, what, 30th or 31st, I think, in the NFL in total yards last year. Maybe it was 28th. I can't remember where they ended the year. But it was definitely in the bottom third, right, mm-hmm. bottom fourth of, of, of the NFL. You've got to take that jump now. You've got to be in the top 50%. You've got to be at least one of the top 15 offenses in the NFL by the end of this year because you've got a competent coach. You've got competent coordinators. You've got a guy that we know has a good scheme, an effective scheme, You've got a quarterback who we think has all the, the skills in the world. We've got receivers who, yes, are not the top of the line, but we've brought in guys that are improvements of what we had. We think they're going to be better. We think we're better equipped to attack opposing defenses. We're getting running backs back. You've brought in offensive linemen, right? If that doesn't translate to a big jump and a big jump from the bottom to the middle of the pack, right, that, that's a big jump, then it, it, you're probably a little frustrated. I think they've got to get to that middle of the pack this year before they take that, you know, huge contender jump the following year. Yeah. I actually agree with you completely on that in terms of where I I envision them finishing, which is middle of the pack. I have them at 17 just because I do think they could have done a better job uh, acquiring talent in certain areas of this offense or, uh, and, you know, if they did that, maybe it, they don't get Chad Muma. Or, you know, they don't get Devin Lloyd. But they prioritized those those guys in the draft, and I don't blame them for doing that because at the time of the picks, I think they were great picks. I think they were home runs. I think Devin Lloyd's a star. I think Chad Muma was should have been a second-round pick. They got him in the third. I think Luke Fortner should have been a second-round pick. They got him in the third. So I get it, but at the same time, when you prioritized all those moves and, and you brought in Foya Luikin for $15 million per year and Foley Fatukasi for $10 million per year, Darius Williams, you didn't add as much offensive talent as you possibly could have. Like You, you went for a balanced approach here, and I think you're going to get more balanced results on offense because of that. And I think they're going to finish just outside the top half of the league, around 17, in between 17 and 20 in offense this year. Which, make no mistake about it, that's going to be exciting. That is going to be a huge jump. Because, mm-hmm. like, the jump from, like, bottom five to even the next five, you're a much better offense, right? But to jump from bottom three all the way up to the middle of the pack, it's going to be, like, a revelation, even though they're still not elite. It's, I think it's going to be just so different and, and exciting for fans to watch. Yeah. Yeah. And, and not only that, you put your organization under a microscope, obviously at all times, when you make decisions 
Well, I know we're talking about offense this week, so I'll save most of this for next week. So I'm sure we're going to go into defense next week. But that Devin Lloyd pick, you moved up to make that pick. You chose to make that pick in lieu of getting a receiver or getting an offensive weapon. And depending on how this receiving core does this year and how he plays this year, right, that is a huge decision that's going to have ramifications uh, for this franchise. And we'll get into it next week, obviously, with defense. We'll talk about that. But, you know. I couldn't agree with you more, though. Um, it is a huge inflection point for the future of this franchise. And not only because it's not a receiver, but because it's a linebacker, which is a position that is devalued based on contracts around the league. It's a position where you can find decent players. Now, I think Devin Lloyd is a lot more than a decent player. I think he has Pro Bowl potential without question. Uh, but yeah, that's a huge, a huge decision that they made. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and they made it again and again in the draft to not go after a receiver. Yeah, that's my point exactly. Not only did they get a linebacker, first of all, they got a linebacker number one overall, right? He's going to play outside linebacker. Well, and outside linebacker is not devalued. That yes. is highly valued. It's the off-ball linebackers that are devalued. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, but, but what I was getting at was, okay, so you've already got Josh Allen. You know, that's going to be one of your outside linebackers. You go ahead and draft your other one at, at number one overall. Great. You signed Aluakin in free agency. You've got one of your off-ball interior linebackers. Great. Now, they went with Devin Lloyd, who we assume is going to be that interior linebacker. You kind of had things set there, right? Then you go make the, the pick of Tamum as well. So you add depth to a room that you've kind of just filled. Again, without getting into too too much talk about the defense, that's another telltale sign as well. I, I get that in that third round, the talent for receiver wasn't there as it was at, at pick 27, so it's a little bit different. But you went out and you double-dipped in that linebacker game, especially in that off-ball linebacker game that you're saying is devalued, and it is. Contract-wise, they're not the guys that are making the money and making the impact plays anymore. Um, but that 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 cannot come back to bite you in the butt, right? You've got to be right with those picks moving forward because it changes the direction of the franchise. Yeah, and we will talk about that defense next week. I know your dog's trying to tell you it's dinner time here. So we're going to get out of here. Had a great time talking some Jaguars offense with you, Jeremy. I'm happy to be back here with the Gin Jag podcast. Make sure to follow Jeremy on Twitter at Jeremy Markoski, myself at Jordan DeLugo, Generation Jaguar at Generation Jag, and hit ginjag.com for all the latest Jaguars news analysis and Duval gear. Thanks so much for tuning in, Jacksonville. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.